Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So, I wonder if I was to ask you, what evil that you see in the world bothers you the most? You might say human exploitation, trafficking, poverty, gender inequality, neglect for the environment. I mean, unfortunately, the list is vast. But now, based on what you know through reading the Bible and understanding God's character, what would you say that God hates the most? Now, there's not a hierarchy of sin. The Bible says that all sin leads to death and separation from God. But what does God seem to speak out against the most? I find it interesting because often what God speaks out against and rebukes the most in the Bible is quite different to some of the things that we might be most vocal about. And that's not to neglect the seriousness of those things that matter to us and how God feels about them. But as I've explored the scriptures over the years and come to a deeper understanding of God's character, I'd have to say that one of the things that God challenges and speaks out against the most is pride. I mean, we read about pride throughout the Bible and God says it clear as day in Proverbs 8.13. He says, I hate pride and arrogance. And you know, when the Bible talks about pride at its heart, it's about the exaltation and the elevation of self. And in our society, pride is something that's celebrated. It's seen as a good thing. And I guess in some ways it can be a good thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with being full of pride because of the achievements of someone else to, to lift them up, to champion them, to cheer them on. But then there's a danger with pride. And this is what the Bible addresses, that with pride comes a sense of self-elevation and a lack of humility. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. I mean, pride can cause us to be dependent on our own success and our own ability in which often we give ourselves the credit for something actually God has accomplished. Ultimately, pride leads to a lack of dependence on God. And I think at its heart, pride is essentially self-worship. And the reason I think God hates pride so much is because it is, in fact, the root of all sin. The psalmist says it this way. He says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek the Lord. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Now, in the book of Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible, when we read about the first sin, it was pride that led Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of the tree that God commanded them not to. It was pride that led to their belief that we know better than God. We can decide for ourselves what is good and what is bad. And of course, we see the uncomfortable truth that there are consequences from when we let pride dictate our decisions and actions. And these consequences, they fracture our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And today's passage is a stark reminder of that. But there's also good news because there is hope and redemption available for everyone. So we're going to dive into Daniel chapter five, but I just want to open by reading the closing words of Daniel four, um, as we heard from last week, because they really help set up the theme of our next chapter. And in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar, he'd, he'd had to live with the consequences of his own pride. And, and it was the start of his undoing and it began to bring about his demise. I mean, check out Tim's message from last week. But there was hope for Nebuchadnezzar because eventually he humbles himself and he repents before the Lord of his arrogance and his pride and God restores him. But at the end of Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar, he closes with these words and he says, 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Q chapter five, and we start at verse one. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Now, when we start chapter five, just over 20 years or so has passed since the previous chapter. Nebuchadnezzar has died and his grandson, Belshazzar, is on the throne. And it'd be a fair question to ask, I wonder if this new king has learned anything from his predecessor. And quite quickly, we found out, nope, no, he hasn't. And these first few verses of chapter five, I think are perhaps one of the greatest examples of pride and foolishness that you'll read about anywhere in the Bible. I mean, the scene starts with this king throwing a lavish party for him and a thousand of his nobles, his wives and his concubine. And the wine was flowing, which isn't particularly an unusual thing to happen. I mean, a king with great power and wealth throwing a great party to show off to their guests. There's nothing unusual in that. But what the biblical narrative doesn't tell you, but the history books do, that whilst this party is happening inside the palace, right outside the walls of the city, a vast army of Medes and Persians have gathered and they were laying siege to the city of Babylon. And Belshazzar the king, he knows about this. And yet he's sitting there pretty in his palace, throwing a decadent party because at the end of the day, this was Babylon. It was the greatest and most impressive city of the greatest empire in the ancient world at that time. And it was impenetrable. Apparently the walls of the city were so vast that they used to race chariots side by side around them. And here's Belshazzar, so assured of his empire, of the greatness of his city and of his power and success and dominance that he has the arrogance and the audacity to sit and party while the enemy, laid se- enemy lays siege to the city. And then on top of that, he makes this request that the cups that the Babylonians had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and were used for the worship of Yahweh, the one true God, he requests that they be brought to him so him and his guests could drink out of them and toast the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. I mean, Belshazzar here is showing utter contempt for God by taking the things of God that were made for the worship of God And he uses him for his own pleasure and the worship of these materialistic gods. And you might think, as if people would ever worship materialistic things, how archaic. But we may know these gods as Amazon or the Trafford Centre. Because you see, cultures have changed, but the human condition hasn't. I think if ever there was an act of complete contempt for God and a display of arrogance and pride in your own power and of being self-absorbed, then this was it. And when I read this, I can think, you know, there may be times when I get a bit big for my boots, a little big headed, but I would never be proud like that. But you know what? Ultimately, pride takes root in us when we begin to exalt anything else above God. And it usually starts with the exaltation of self. You know what? Pride is the root of all sin, to believe that we know what is best for us. And it creeps in so quietly that we don't often even notice it. C.S. Lewis said, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free. There is no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. 
Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, I wonder how good we are at spotting pride in ourselves. I mean, how does pride manifest itself in our lives? I mean, this isn't an exhaustive list, but here's a few. I think pride is self-preservation. Pride keeps us from celebrating the success of others. Pride keeps us from initiating an apology even when we know we're in the wrong. Pride stops us admitting weakness and our need of God. Pride elevates us above others. Pride craves recognition. It makes us defensive. It constantly seeks the approval of others. Pride is when we feel good when others fail or are quick to find fault in others. Pride is to experience God's provision and then live selfishly. Pride prioritizes your own pleasure over obedience to Jesus. Pride is when you need the final word. Ultimately, pride is the antithesis of humility. It lies at the heart of all our short failings. And I tell you what, I am so guilty of it. But back to the passage. I mean, I can imagine the drink is flowing, the music's playing, and then all of a sudden this party comes to an abrupt halt as we read in verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. I mean, I read this and I think, man, this is the stuff of nightmares. I mean, I would be freaking out. And this is exactly what happens to Belshazzar. And we continue. It says, the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I mean, this, this is like comedy almost. His knees were knocking. He was terrified. And so he summons enchanters and astrologers and all the wise men of Babylon to interpret this writing on the wall. And of course, he didn't learn from his predecessor, which is another sign of pride, because none of them could do what he needed. The people he relied on and trusted for knowledge, wisdom and understanding all failed him. And so eventually it's the king's mother. She speaks up and says in verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. So the king, he calls on Daniel, and I love this, Belshazzar, who shows such contempt for God and instead trusts a bunch of other gods, someone who has always relied on his own power and the strength of his empire and the vastness of his wealth, he eventually comes to the end of himself because none of this makes a world of difference to him when he actually needs it. And yet here is Daniel who for the past 20 years has been forgotten. And yet when all other powers, systems and wisdoms fail, they remember him because he's known for his wisdom, his insight and integrity. Because ultimately this is what sets the people of God apart. And, and I wish I had more time to explore this, but I just want to say this, that when we live faithfully to the way of Jesus and how he would have us live, it will cause trials and persecution. And at some point, it may well cause people to reject you or mock you. But you know what? Sooner or later, the power of God, seen in those who walk faithfully with him, will be seen as a light in the darkness. And no matter what opposition you may face, never underestimate the power of a godly life. Never underestimate the power of a life lived in obedience to Jesus. Because you know what? We might not be invited to the world's parties, but when the world gets desperate, when earthly power and wisdom fails, and it will fail, like Belshazzar, people will take notice and call on the faithful men and women who know the Lord. And so in comes Daniel, no longer a sprightly young man. He's probably about 80 at the time, but he's still faithfully serving the Lord. And he says these words to Belshazzar, verse 23. 
You have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And I love that. It's the overarching theme of Daniel right there, that it is God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And yet pride is to live as if the very opposite is true. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. And here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Parsin, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. I mean, these words are pronouncing God's judgment on Belshazzar. And the judgment is bleak. These words are saying, you know what? There are consequences for the way that you've been living and the results are in and it is not going to go well for you. And true to God's word, in verse 30 we read, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. I mean, judgment isn't a word that we like, to stand accused of something. But you know what? This is the reality for Belshazzar because ultimately God, who made all, who sees all, who knows all, is judge of all. And for you and I, there will come a day when we will have to give an account of our lives laid bare before the Lord. I mean, imagine it like this. Imagine if someone could download and collect all your secret thoughts, and I mean everything, the things that no one else knows about. And imagine if they were uploaded online in full technicolor for the whole world to see. I mean, I think if that happened to me, I would never show my face in public again because just to feel the judgment and the eyes of people knowing the most secret and broken parts of my life. And you know what? The truth is, God sees it all anyway. He knows it all. You can't hide anything from him. And the uncomfortable truth is this, the writing is on the wall for all of us. And God's judgment will fall on all those who miss the mark of God's standard. And guess what? That's all of us. And you might think, well, Pete, that makes me feel guilty and condemned and shameful. But you know what? Guess what? That's the reality of what sin does, of what pride does, and we cannot avoid it. And you know what? I I think it's important that we know the truth about how God sees our sin. And we need to take sin seriously and understand that the consequences for sin is death and separation from God. And you might think, Pete, that's a little bit heavy. But you know, it's the truth. And I believe that it isn't until you understand the full weight of the problem, like the full consequence for sin, that you begin to understand the immense joy of the solution. Because yes, The writing's on the wall for all of us and we stand judged. I stand condemned because I've fallen short. We've all fallen short, but there's good news because God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to have to live with the consequences and under the judgment of all the times we've messed up and missed the mark. And in his great love for you, God sent his son Jesus who lived life without sin who was free from judgment, and yet he took the judgment that was on you and I, and he took the penalty that we deserved on himself, and he took your place and my place in death. 
And Jesus died on a cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live free. And you don't have to live condemned under the weight of sin and shame and the pointing finger. Because here's, here's the truth. The blood of the cross has washed away the writing on the wall. As Paul writes in Romans 8.1, he says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And no matter what you've done, no matter how much pride has a hold or has had a hold of your life, no matter how stuck you feel in damaging patterns or habits or behaviours, there's a free gift of forgiveness and a relationship with God that's available for you. And all you have to do is ask for it. Believing that Jesus died to pay for your forgiveness and he rose again to new life so that we could have new life in him. And maybe you've never asked for that forgiveness before. Maybe you've never entered into a relationship with God and you can do that right now. Maybe you live with a sense of guilt and shame because of decisions you've made or mistakes that you've made and it weighs heavy. But guys, there is freedom and new life with Jesus if you want it. And so I'd love to pray for us. But you know what? Maybe you've done that before. You've prayed that prayer, but you recognize how pride now has a hold on your, hold on your life. And maybe you've exalted other things above God. And you know what? You're thinking, I don't want to forfeit anything that God may have for me because my pride is getting in the way. And maybe you want to ask for this forgiveness afresh. And you can do that too. And you can do that now. So I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much that your love is so great that despite our short failings and despite everything that we've done, you love us so much that you sent your son to take the judgment and the punishment that we deserve for all the times we've messed up and fallen short. And whether you've prayed this prayer before or maybe this is the first time, but Lord, I just want to say I'm sorry I repent, and that word repent just simply means I want to change direction. I want to turn away from my pride and my selfishness and all of that. And I want to turn towards you, the one who gives life and freedom and forgiveness. I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus to die on a cross to take my place. God, I want to accept and receive that forgiveness as I believe in what your son did for me. And he didn't just die and stay in the ground, but he rose again and he left that sin there. He defeated death, he defeated sin, and now he is raised to new life so we could have new life in him. And God, I just say again, and for anyone else who wants to say it, God, I choose to follow you. I choose to trust you. I choose new life. I choose Jesus. The writing on the wall is done away with. I thank you, Jesus, and I want to worship you with my whole life. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.